Hello and welcome to the Mentality Podcast. On today's episode, myself and Stevie were joined by Rodri Jones. Rodri was a really talented footballer and was signed by Manchester United as a teenager, but unfortunately his footballing dreams soon turned into a nightmare due to injury. We talk openly about the mental health battles that led to, we talk about the parallels with Stevie's own um, situation at the moment, and Rodri also gives us his top tips for what helped him out of his depression. We think this is a really important topic to talk about at the moment, particularly with a lot of athletes who don't make it into sports, leading to depression and anxiety issues. So, yeah, we think this is a really important conversation and we hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the Mentality Pod. Um, I'm delighted to be joined by Stevie Ward. How are you doing, Steve? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad, man. And um, yeah, I'm even more delighted to be joined by Rodri Jones. Rodri, how are you getting on, mate? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm quite honoured to be on this podcast actually, because it was a it was a bit of a turning turning point for me listening to this podcast. Um, I think it was a few years ago, um, and I, I I'm an avid podcast listener, so you know I've, I've listened to probably hundreds over the years in the car and, and at home. Um, yeah, we'll go into that in a, in a bit if you want. Tell, tell me, tell me why uh, mentality stands out for you just before we go on. Sounds like we're yeah, going you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just no, tell no, me why no. it's good. Honestly, I, I'm 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 from a dressing room environment. Um, even though I've I've been working more with actors over the last few years, but you know I've probably could be conditioned with that dressing room environment, that competitive banter, um, you know that that surface level kind of um, talk, really. And I, I think I. I think there's a few podcasts, you know, here is Stevie with his um, with his teammates talking really openly, and I'd never heard that kind of talk really um, in, in this kind of circle. You know, I'd heard it in spiritual circles, um, <laughs> but it, it was it was it was quite refreshing to to hear. Really, I think I'd heard one of your podcasts with Craig White too, who kind of resonated as well. And I know with who was you know obviously down here in Wales, he was with um, the Welsh Rugby Union team at Gatland, and then. I think it was another one with with Chris with a um, the silent retreat experience, and I was a, I was a bit jealous listening to that one, to be honest. especially because I got two young kids, and yeah, I've got to fight <laughs> trying to trying to um, hear that silence is a little bit more difficult nowadays. Yeah. Mate, I remember actually before it started, you can have like a coffee or tea with people before the like the gong goes, and you have to say silent. And on my table, there was a dad. I think he'd been waiting about like 10 years for permission to get on this. And he looked like the happiest man in the room to go into like <laughs> 10 days of absolute silence. Probably um, wanted a good night's sleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you'd be up at half four, so half you half didn't four, get yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. They're not value sleep down there then? No, apparently if you're a bit tired, you, you meditate better was one of the things they taught. But you've got Isn't about six hours. Yeah, something when you you know they say about like early in the morning is something your kind of conscious mind's not truly yeah. fully online, so you're oh, very suggestive that. with your yeah. unconscious as well. Yeah. I think that's why they say sometimes to listen some, to something before bed because it kind of um, goes in a little bit deeper when you're a little bit um, more tired and a little bit more open. Yeah. I guess alpha, alpha brain waves. Yeah, you definitely get that's that it. where your mind wasn't you know it's just hundred mile an hour thought thought thought. It was just so tired. You kind of. Yeah, but then the, the the next problem was not falling back to sleep. Yeah, no, I think um, Yeah, but Rodri, mate, let's um, let's go back a little bit first because I think it'd be good just for listeners and stuff to get a bit about your background. So, um, you were a very talented young footballer, and it was around the age fourteen, is that right? You were picked up by um, Man United. 
And I think um, there's a really good article on, I think it's Wells Online, um, which we can, we can put out. But um, there's a photo of you with Alex Ferguson. And um, is that right? Was that, was that the moment you signed for them? I wasn't sure of that. Yeah, um, I signed school by forms with them when I was 14. I, like my association manual goes back to when I was probably like five. Um, I supported them. I think it was Brian Robson played a midfielder for him at the time. Um, so I'd supported them since I was like five, six, really. Um, I even remember my first school report in school, like five years old, the teacher putting good luck with a football. So my identity got wrapped up with them football pretty early on. Um, then I'd, you know, they've got scouts all over the country and the South Wales scout had contacted me. Um, you know, I'd been around loads of different clubs, Leeds up, up there and um, Liverpool had contacted me. There was a lot of, lots of clubs, but like once United came in at 14, it was... It was a bit of a weird experience, really. You kind of, um, you, we, we went to like Old Trafford to, um, before a game. I think it was Tottenham they were playing. It was like morning of a um, home team game, like 14. And I was with uh, like my scout and the youth development officer and they like leading you through the corridors of Old Trafford, you know, the, the bit you don't see. And um, so you're like going, oh, I don't know where, where they're taking this like little labyrinth. And then they knock on the door and then you hear this like um, boy saying, come in and open the door. And then there was Ferguson sat there. I mean, it, it was lucky. It, it made it made for a better picture because they'd won the double the year before. So you had, um, had the premiership. Um, trophy in the FA Cup in the picture so it wasn't just like a bunch of flowers or something so <laughs> made a picture but I mean that, that's probably testament to Ferguson that um, how many managers are the dip morning of a game would take the time to you know 14 year old as well um, to, to sign so that just shows you how what a special manager Ferguson was and yeah I was uh, luckily then when I was 16 after GCSEs I signed a scholarship with the club and I was there between um, the ages of it was 16 and 20 and this was a I think it was 98 to 2000 so this was during the travel winning season in 99 so it was like a, a golden time to be part of that club really so like even hearing you there and then seeing you on on the zoom link uh, I could see your face kind of beam up at that memory of walking and seeing Ferguson and obviously we're going to get into um, how and I think this is important because I don't think we talk enough about how many people don't become the starting eleven for that? You know, for the teams that they get signed for and fall through the cracks and fall down lower divisions, and um, and often through luck, things like injuries or um, uh, being away from home, or loads of other factors seem to play a part. But do you still have a fond memory of, of that early those moments at fourteen being signed, and or or is it kind of tinged with um, with kind of sadness now? Or? No, it's not tinged with sadness. I think my mum was a little bit, because my mum, it was difficult for my mum and dad. They're not from a football background. So my mum was like a secretary a lot of the time. And they don't really, it's a difficult one for, for a mum and dad because you list statistically, why would you ever let your son go into that avenue of football, you know, when you look at mark players and make it through. But what statistic do you put on someone's dream? You know, was, there's no way I was going to turn down that chance to sign for United. And they were, I was, I was very privileged, to be honest with you. Um, I was just unfortunate, you know, I'd, I'd left home when I was, um, to be honest, it was a weird thing for me because I left home and I was quite happy in Cardiff. So I was giving up quite a lot in terms of, it's a difficult one because you, you feel like, I didn't really talk to my friends. Like I was worried. I remember we were, we went on a trip and after GCSEs, all my mates, you know, we were quite young and it was, it was like they were looking forward to A-levels and I was 
going to be saying goodbye to a lot of them. This was kind of pre-internet time, really. But I couldn't really talk to any of them because I was like, well, how do I tell anyone? I'm a little bit worried when I know this is a dream for half, you know, obviously for, for most of them, maybe not all with Man U. So I kind of left home, you know, you, you're trying to deal with the homesickness. And then you go from like training twice a week to like full on training. And so you kind of, your body's adapting to that. You, you, there's no release when you go home, just in digs, you know, so it's like a local landlord and landlady. So it's, it's always that reminder you're up there because of the football. So I find it quite difficult to switch off. Kind of got through it, but then like a week before the first season started, I had like a bad knee injury. So then it was a weird thing then. So I kind of, I had a, you know, I, I tore my, um, I tore my um, cartilage quite badly in my, and they tried to stitch it back together. So it ended up with me going back home in, with my knee in a brace for like six weeks while the rest of the players were progressing with it. You know, they'd started their career with a bit of momentum and I always felt I was playing a little bit of catcher because um, the similar thing kind of happened to me in, in the second season really. But, you know, injuries are part of football, but I, I honestly feel like I was... I was an overthinker, so you, you know it's fine when you're overthinking and you're playing well. But when you're, I'm sure Stevie can relate. You know, when you're injured and stuff, that's when you you feel a bit worthless. And, and so I, I, I did find it quite difficult. It's such a it's such, such a volatile environment sometimes. Um, and yeah, like I say, I was quite a busy mind. Um, I, I, it's, it's quite difficult to um, to deal with sometimes when, when you're a bit like that. I never chose to be an overthinking. I'm quite an academic guy. Um, some of my teammates I used to wish to be more like them because they like they think that they just play and they yeah obviously if they've had a bad game but they'd forget about it the next day where I'd be ruminating it for a couple of days. Even if I played pretty well, if I'd misplaced a few passes, I'd be beating myself up about it. And I don't think that's really healthy. But uh, but then I was never taught. Of a different way, so you, you, you're kind of um, without someone shining a light. Sometimes in life, you, it's difficult for you to take full responsibility because you don't know any different. Yeah, it's the only version, only version that you've got. You it's mate, I, I've definitely, uh, I've had those conversations with, with you before, Steve. Um, that's why I thought it'd be really good to get you on, Rodri. Like, there's loads of parallels there with, and I've always found this fascinating with whether you have to be that kind of have that unhealthy mindset to be the best. You know, when you talk about like uh, Michael Jordans and Messi's and Ronaldo's and stuff, I don't think it is. It does have to be like that. But I think I can imagine some people make the argument that, oh, well, that overthinking actually makes you better than the other players when you're not injured. I, 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 I don't think it does. I, I think I was very driven. So it was obviously a drive for me to get to where I was. Um, but I was weighed down by a lot of baggage. I think it was a bit of a people pleaser. I was just trying to um, to to fit in and and this overthinking thing. Yeah, I, I do, do think it probably makes things harder. But it's, it's the same as it's the same as someone who might who's you know muscles need you know they need to work on their physical mm. fitness. They'll go to the gym. They can do something about it. It's the same with the mind. And I think I think maybe culturally we live in a world where. Um, there's more information about how to become physically fitter, whereas everything we see, we see through the filters of our own minds, yet how much time do we spend really understanding that and really fine-tuning that to a degree? So I, it wasn't my 
you know, it, I didn't decide to be an overthinker. You know, I'm, you know, when you're playing a game and you're doing a mistake, and then, um, you know, I was pretty good at like I was quite hard on myself, so I know straight away I should have done that. But then, you know, that you've got a coach who's shouting at you, and then afterwards you you're replaying that time and time again. It's a skill sometimes. Like, you know, whereas you have some players who that doesn't become an issue because they're not the overthinkers, so they're not going to be beating themselves up over the weekend. So it's. I, I think there's footballs for everyone. Yes, it's the same as any any anything. You just, but I think maybe I don't know if times have changed. You know, sometimes I hear that they haven't really. But I think it's. I think it's only now that we're really starting to understand how powerful the mind is and how you know the way you regulate your body and your, your autonomic nervous system. It all works together, and there's stuff you can do about it. I guess yeah. the key is that you, you, you keep referring to the overthinking. I guess that's the key phrase, isn't it? It's like, it's fine to actually, uh, you know, go over your performance and note the things you could have done differently. Um, but then once you've noted that and made a conscious and go, oh, next time, you know, make sure I, I look up both ways when I, you know, just to see if there's another pass on or, but the third and fourth and fifth and 10th and 20th time you ruminate over it isn't achieving anything except for creating more, negative feelings and emotions so um, yeah I, yeah uh, it's that balance yeah go on steve yeah on, on that the um the overthinking thing um i guess like you, you made the comparison there Rodri, about um your body and, and sort of being able to know because we've got the examples now using the body so everyone's got a different type of body that would work for a different type of sport and within that sport, they've got a different type of body that'll work for a different role, different way they play, different sort of talent, different sort of um, execution on the field. Um, and I, I guess you could sort of compare that to, to your mind. Um, and Chris has just sort of spoke there about it um, in terms of overthinking. And, you know, I, I, I've, I'm, you know, I put my hand up and say, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, at times, I'm an overthinker. I can be an overthinker, um, but also that that capacity capacity to think a bit more and to see a bit more. Um, I think that that leads to you to see different things that that needs addressing to to see the world in a different light that people might not um, be open to. And I think that there's, there's there's room in that to be able to take action from that. And Chris mentioned, you know, you don't want to overthink. Yeah, you, you want to see it. You want to be able to notice that and feel it understand your emotions and take action from it because um, then that's like the evidence for for improvement and evidence for, for actually taking hold of it but I think you know you can be you can be sort of labeled an overthinker and and that can be sort of shunned to be a negative at times but also there's there's, there's great worth in that and there's great value in that as well I remember hearing Johnny Wilkinson, Johnny Wilkinson was talking about his career and I resonated because the way, obviously I didn't reach reach the heights he did, but you know, he said he survived his career, that he thought he'd, um, but by suffering, it, 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 you know, he had to suffer to become the, the best, but he was just suffering, you know, like it's the same as if you do a mistake, you've done the mistake, you've, if you're back, you know, the fourth or fifth time, but you'll have some people like 30 years later, they're, they're, they're still like, yeah. oh, this happened 30 years ago and it drives them to success, but it's, they're still doing it from a place of proving someone else right. It's like still, you, you're not really free by that. I mean, you know, the same in life, you know, stuff happens. Why suffer, you know, the amount of times we suffer twice 
by ruminating on stuff. But um, but it's a skill. It's like working skillfully with your mind. You know, like you know, everyone's different. It's but I do think it's you know like it's something that's been maybe more of a focus in the Eastern world, and then we it becomes to the Western world, and then we have to look at the science behind everything instead of actually well. What's your first person experience? What's your inexperience? You know, in terms of when you know, let's say, obviously, not meditating for everyone, but what what happens when you sit down and then you see, like, if someone had said to me, you know, fourteen when I was fourteen, fifteen, you know, those thoughts they have, they're not you, they're not, they're, you know, they're, they're part of you. They come and go. You haven't got control. A lot of it is your conditioning through when you're a childhood. And but I thought, like, it's just these thoughts and me ruminating. There was just a sign of just a weakness in me. So it was a kind of like rather than rather than thinking, oh well, um, like 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 Stevie's kind of. It, it can be an access to to greater depth. It can be an access to um, t- to being able to because um, I've always been a curious guy. I've always been you know curious. Um, but I kind of shut that part off with me, and then I just started. You know, thinking I've got to follow everyone else. I, I think we're sometimes we're quick in life, and sometimes as well, like players, you're always looking for coaching. You're looking to authority figures all the time, and instead of trusting your own inexperience, we're always quick to like think someone else in life's got the secret secret answer, and they've worked it all out. But I'd say most people are just, you know, it's, it's difficult enough just to um, find your your inner voice. You know, it's, it, it's so easy in life to. Um, you know, we're primarily driven, you know, on a primal level to follow the tribe, to survive. Um, even if you've got that deep in the voice in you, they think, well, no, that's not the direction for me. And it is so difficult um, nowadays to, to, to trust your own experience, especially when we're so distracted and to, to, to listen to that voice. And to do, you've got, you can find it, fill your life with impulses, distractions, and you're drowning out the voice. And, I, you know, I, I probably did that, did that for years. Mm. And can you, could you talk uh, about the progression from being that 14, 15-year-old um, with the shade of, uh, you know, like what, what you've just been talking about there in terms of what the activity was for your inner voice, but what the activity was externally as well? Yeah, honestly, um, when I started having injuries, so I was playing catch-up for my first two seasons, like, then you've got the voice, you know, you can't afford to be in, you know, you're playing catch-up, you're playing catch-up. I, does that make me mentally strong? I'm, you know, I, I, in my third season in United, I, I stayed injury-free, played pretty well. Um, but I, I think I was... I, I think what had happened, right, is... When I was when I was a kid, um, in the play, you know, playing in the garden, I, I used to play for just the sheer enjoyment, just just for myself, just, just for the free... You know, it was just... Mm. You know, I, I play for hours. Um, you know, even now, if I hear the sound of birds singing in the trees, it, it takes me back to the time when I was in the garden by myself. It's, it's weird. But I think what I'd started doing, then you suddenly start thinking, oh, I don't want to let my mum and dad down. And, and, and I, I, you're playing for other people. So I think what happened with me is um, in my third year United, I was playing pretty well. And then you kind of... Well, I think it was one February morning, and bearing in mind now, I, I'd had a, a Welsh TV crew been following me in my last season at United, and there's now a long documentary that's gone out on the on Channel Four in Wales and um, over Christmas, and it was you know Audrey's quite talented. It was it was just just like six months behind the scenes, 
Did they had so is then, that the one they had like gigs and Beckham in the time? Yeah, it was oh, it was right, gigs, so. Rodri and Beckham. It was called. So you know they had access to everyone, like Ferguson, gigs, spoke Mark Hughes, George Best, even and spoke. So then I got called in. Um, honestly, it was out of nowhere. You get called in on a on, it was a February. It was I won't forget. Um, the gaffer wants to see all the third years in his um, office. Bearing in mind now, I'd never been in Ferguson's office, you know, and my dealings with him on a day-to-day basis would, I'd be walking, you know, I trained with the first team a few times where they wanted you know, a few more numbers from the reserves and stuff. So suddenly you're getting called to, into his office and you walk into his office like I've never been in his office before. And, you know, this is a guy, I think what he felt like is, is he um, welcomed you to the club as a 14-year-old. And he probably felt like it was his responsibility, like he was. He was such a great man. To, to it was up to him to to inform me of what was happening. Um, but for me, I, I mean, I'd gone in probably expecting another year just based on chats I'd had with my coach that year. But but when honestly, when he told me that he wasn't going to um, renew my contract, my first thought was, "Don't cry in front of Sir Alex." It was like. You know, I, I, you know, you're 19 year old. You're trying, still trying to mature, and this is bearing in mind a guy that I'd idolised since I was five. So when he said, "You're not getting another contract," in my mind, it was like, "You're not good enough." You know. So, so it's a weird thing, really. I, I wish my coach had just pulled me to one side and said, "Listen, you're not going to get another contract." But the whole thing of being in Sir Alex's room and, you know, the, the guy, you know, he's a, such an amazing man, probably made that fall a little bit bigger. But then this is what I'm saying. Objectively, what was true in that situation, you're not getting a contract with Man U. But then my mind started, you're not good enough. You let your family down. This documentary's gone out of you. You're going to be embarrassed you can't go back home. So suddenly you can see you're starting to build this imaginary mental prison really um, and w- what happened with me was th- there was no real there was no real psychological support then it was yeah it was a whole thing of, yeah well try and find help you find another club and stuff um, but you know at those times sometimes that's when you need an arm around you and I didn't really want to go to my mum and dad thinking I'd let them you're going to mum and dad thinking I've let them down you know? even though they, 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 they have got giving you no reason to think like that, but they've invested so much time in you, taking you all these trials all over the country, and then suddenly like that, it, you know, the, you know the, the, it's like the, the rug's been pulled from underneath you a little bit. Um, so I honestly, looking back now, because I've, I've written a book in Welsh about it, I, I think I probably suffered a bit of trauma that day. I, I, I do think, I know it's, it's think, oh, well, you have to be in the army or something to suffer trauma. But then you think, you could come back, this is a, someone I'd idolised for so long. My, my dream was to play for United. Then I'm coming out there going, oh, nothing's going ma- n- to match this in my life. Um, so then, you know, you go through the trial process. It's a little bit weird when you go on trial because you feel a little bit unwanted. It, 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 that's the way I was. I'm not saying that's the way it can be, but, you know, sometimes if no, someone's not shining a light in a different direction through there, you, I remember um, there, there was a guy, Robbie Savage, had, had gone through the same experience um, and he'd got released. And there was a guy there at the time, Eric Harrison, who was a legendary team manager at United. He was a guy who was doing... Um, responsible about bringing the class of 92 through and he never never forget when Eric Carson died Robbie Savage said 
when he left Man U, he received a letter from Eric Carson saying, I believe in you, son. It was, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but it was roughly, I believe in you, don't, don't let this be the end for you. Because he said he was contemplating finishing, you know, that it was the blow, the fall was so great for him. But that just gave him something to go to crew. And then he managed to go back. But then I joined Rotherham and I was still in, I think I was still recovering. You know, I, I joined. So, 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 you know, it would have been great to me, for me to go to Rotherham thinking, right, I'm going to prove United wrong. But to be able to do that, you have to kind of have reset, you know, you've had to have integrated the, the emotions involved and um, I, I didn't really I, I went I went to Rotherham you know I know you join any club you know any any dressing room you know I'm not going to go in and you know, start being the um, jack the lad that's not really my style anyway but I was in my shell and never really came out for two years thanks for thanks for sharing that mate it's uh, it's uh, <laughs> I can relate a lot to it because there's players that, that obviously the there's players that, and I've been lucky to to do it and to play professionally. But there's also players that that I've been through with the academy, which have had similar, you know, they've had similar experiences. They've not been picked up. They've not been uh, they've not been worked on. And, um, it's the brutality of it. It's the brutality of it. And I think with sport as well, there's so much involved. Or it's so much in the present moment, which is the games, the glory of it. It makes that makes it special. Also, you know. There's the other side to it as well, which um, which contributes to. Um, so, what what was the aftermath of that like for you um, after the, the 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 time where you, you know you, you what was the coming out of the shell, if you like? What 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 was that for you? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what you know in Rotherham. I mean, great bunch of lads. They'd won. I think they were in the championship at the time. Um, they'd they'd won two successive promotions. For a small club, shows you tight knit. You know, you can just yeah. from the outside, you know, that's a tight knit group. Yeah. They had a couple, you know, Mark Robbins used to play for Man U, but they didn't really have any big names. And mm. you know, it's a lot of the guys who were in that dressing room at the time have gone into management. I think, um, well, Paul Warren, who's a manager at Rotherham now, there's Mark Robbins himself as a manager. There's about four or five, so it shows you it was, a, it was a strong, strong characters in the dressing room. But honestly, I went in and they they made me feel welcome. Um, yeah, the, the manager wasn't um, someone who put his arm around you. I mean, just to go back in terms of before signing for Rotherham, I mean, probably the and I know a lot. I've heard a lot of people speak about I mean, a guy called Ian Holloway, who's a manager. Well, I think he's sporting director, Grimsby, a bit of a legendary figure for you know his and banter and stuff. But I remember him ringing me after I um, left United and because he, he, he tried to sign me he was Bristol Rovers manager when he was United tried to take me on loan there um, but he'd got a job at QPR as manager and he rang me he spoke to me for about an hour and I was like um, I, obviously I can't you know, I can't remember the, the details exactly of that conversation but I remember what a lovely man like what's a guy who's speaking from the heart and then I ring my dad and then I'm like yeah yeah he's been on the phone for me with an hour for an hour as well you know this is a, I mean, it's weird in life how, how these, you know, directions can go in different ways. I mean, I, I just didn't fancy living in London at the time. That was the only reason, really. I, you know, I, I, I'm not really, you know, I like, I don't like, you know, I like, I'm a city buyer. I come from Cardiff, so I'm used to cities. But I think London was, you know, when I've been there, it's just maybe yeah. a step too, too yeah. busy for me. But, um, 
But then it just goes to show, like Clark Carlisle, who's um, you know a footballer who, who, who spoke quite openly about his problems. He had problems at QPR, and um, Holloway pointed him in the right direction. Um, but obviously, when I was in Rotherham, I didn't really have that relationship with the manager. Like, manager would be really successful, but we didn't really have any of these conversations. So suddenly, what happened in Rotherham, my knee started playing up again. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's weird how it creeps up on you. I, I'd, I'd start training, okay? And um, I had a flat in Rotherham, and I'd start um, isolating a little bit. You know, I was, there was a couple of guys there really open, you know, that, but I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go out. And... Then suddenly you're going home and then you, you, you're shutting the curtains and then you're like, you're shutting the curtains in the afternoon then you're not opening them up till next day. Then you're not, you're not bothering to open the curtains. So suddenly I was just having these dark thoughts. You know, it's just like, I was just building this prison and um, I didn't really talk to anyone. I did, I did, it, this is going back at a time, you know, 20 years ago, to over 20, yeah, it was just under 20 years ago where it wasn't really spoken about um, but I didn't really talk to anyone at the club about it. I it was it was weird how things these things come together. I, I was quite lucky that I I've never had that pull towards gambling, alcohol, something that maybe really pulls you out of out of clear thinking. But there was like a doctor's surgery opposite opposite my flat. If that doctor's surgery had been like two miles out of the way, I, I mean I you know sometimes I'd go to the pub. There was a pub by the surgery. I just go to the pub sometimes just to sit sit there because I didn't want to be in this flat by myself. I was a bit, bit I, I, these, these like thoughts about like, how do I stop thinking like being so hard on myself? The, 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 easy, the, the closest person I've, I've actually heard describe what my feelings were like was with Clark Clyle actually himself, the guy who was a cute guy, he said, all through the day, be like, you're not good enough. You let someone down, you let everyone down repeatedly, repeatedly. So I'd be like, um, playing like whack-a-mole, trying to whack one down, and it'd be just popping up all day. So then you're thinking, like, I was quite a, like a logical person, and I'd be like thinking, oh, well, when when are you not consciously not thinking? It'd be like, oh, when you're sleeping, how do you extend that sleep? So I think for a lot, you know, a lot of people, it can be just this trying to stop thinking. You know, it's not a case of wanting to – I don't think at any point I wanted to – end my life it was nothing like that it was just to stop thinking so I went into the doctor's surgery and I, I remember thinking before oh, I hope he doesn't give me Prozac because that's what mad people think so um so he it was an odd one for him he, he recognized me when I walked in he wasn't the club doctor he was a doctor I think he'd had attachments to the club so and he's like does anyone at the club know so no and it's obviously a patient and confidentiality can't really tell anyone so we, I and he's, you can see this a young lad 2021. Was, I was lucky, fortunate that I had it probably had that deep voice that maybe steered me in to go to the surgery, you know, without actually, I don't even remember if I told my mum and dad. And then I'm thinking, like, he gave me some um, some medication and I was, like, reading the packets, like, glad this isn't Prozac. And then I went back and, like, Googled it and it was like, that was a medical name for Prozac. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think even then, I mean, I started taking it. I didn't take, you know, I was training with Rodman and Manti on antidepressants but even then I was like it was taking the edge off I felt a bit numb but I was like I want to understand if I don't understand if I don't go to the root I'm always going to it's always going to be skirting the same you're always going to be patching things up um but I, as I say, I didn't tell anyone and I ended up with me um asking you know I, I it, to, to the point where it always felt quite free on the pitch um 
I can't explain it. I, you know when you're in the sense of flow on the pitch where just time just disappears and it's yeah. like things are happening. It's like you're not even in charge in a way. It's just flowing through. It was anything but that. It was like I was playing and I had to, even, had to consciously think of just about moving my body, like just everything. I had to, you know, I, I was like, oh, I stood on a pitch like with floodlights and they were blinding me. And I was like looking at the bench and I just want to be there or I just want to hold just to swallow me up on the pitch. I'd never felt like that before. So when I asked to see the manager, he's probably used to, you know, players pulling him up because I was just playing reserves, like saying, oh, why am I not in the first team? He was like, it was anything but that. I mean, I, my level of performance, what, you know, this wasn't even a discussion to be had. So he was probably um, wondering, well, why do I want to see him? So, you know, for, for a young lad, bearing in mind, we didn't have, really have a relationship where it was, you know, it was just the nature of a relationship. I, I just, um, I, I pulled him in his office and when um, Ronnie, I just, um, just want to rip up my contract. Bearing in mind, I had like six, seven months left of my contract, which is, you know, it was, a, it was decent money for me at, what was it, 2021? And then, but effectively, what I was saying is a rip up the contract. I don't care about that money. I just just need to go. Um, and I think he was a little bit shocked, really, because in, in all fairness to Rotherham, they, they, they gave me some money. They didn't, they weren't, they didn't need to give me any money. Um, but, you know, then you think, you know, all that, you know, going from me at five, be saying um, in my scoreboard, good luck with the football. And it ended in, in that, my, my professional career ended in that circumstance with me um, telling him to rip up my contract, not even telling him why. Um, I think I said, you know, my knee or I'm a little bit homesick. Yeah, probably I was homesick because, you know, everything was magnified being up there. Mm. But in... It just goes to show you sometimes how, you know, when people say, oh, it's important to talk and stuff. I mean, maybe if I'd had that conversation with someone in the dressing room, things would have took a different route. I might not have um, asked them to rip up my contract. But I think the thing for me, though, I remember sitting in the car park after telling the manager and I felt lighter Um so I do do feel even looking back, I think it was the right decision. For me at that time, it was the right decision. You know, some people say, "Well, you know, you 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 gave up," or some people say, "Well, you're crazy for seeing the manager." I, I just think uh, there's times in my life that there's just been a deep, like you, you've alluded to, this inner voice, and it was just, you know, there's times where I've tried to overrule it. Is the times where I probably suffered, whereas where I've just listened to it, and I, I feel like I probably did need to go back home um and, and that's what i did and, uh, and then yeah went to play semi-professionally while studying for a business degree did that, um that when you so you because obviously you're kind of the last point you mentioned about playing football was that you'd lost that kind of flow state and enjoyment almost completely so then deciding to go semi-professional did any of that come back did it start was yeah. that sounds like it was on your terms were you like um oh, I can play and I might start enjoying it again. You know what, Chris? It, it did come back because I, I got the enjoyment back pretty quickly. But it was still something external to me. I was still like, thinking, oh, great. Oh, I, I was coming back thinking, oh, oh, that depression, maybe it's gone. You know, like it was, it was still thinking I could feel a sense of psychological lack from the outside. I'm probably still carrying that feeling of not being good enough. Still from, you know, probably even 
before you know that, that going back to before I left to go to United, where I was had worries and didn't really voice them. It all kind of builds up, doesn't it? So yeah, what happened then is I was playing semi-professionally, um, doing a business degree, but fortunately my knee was still deteriorating. You know, we go back to um, when I when I told Ronnie Moore to rip up my contract. My knee, you know, I'd suffered a lot, a lot of knee problems, so I, I I don't think my knee would have stood up probably full-time football anyway it was just unfortunate I'd had knee problems from such an early age but um, what happened then is suddenly my knee started playing up so just semi-professionally it was like I'd be playing one Saturday and then um, then the following Saturday I was still trying to get the swelling down from the previous Saturday so I remember playing one game um, semi-professionally and then just waking up um, the next morning, nothing had happened in that game, and I just couldn't move my leg. I just couldn't get out of bed, um, and I was like, "Oh God, nothing happened in this game." And suddenly, my knees it happened to be like this. So, I went to see a knee consultant. So, bearing in mind, I'm still probably deep buried a little bit. This feeling of not being enough, and you know, um, so I went to see a knee consultant, and um, he, I took my manager with me. He was pretty old school at the time. He's still like. Tell me, um, oh, you, you'll be able to run off your, your, your knee. I was like, well, no, no, I've got basically no cartilage in the knee. It's not the kind of injury you can run off. So I told my, um, I told the consultant, you'll need to be quite frank. Because, um, but then <laughs> I didn't expect him to be quite so frank. He went, um, Rod, you've got the knee of a fifty-year-old ex-footballer at twenty-four. So suddenly, I was like, um, this is that's what I'm saying. Like sometimes the way your mind can take things. I was like, oh well. That's me. That's worth. I'm worthless now because, like, I'm 50 year old ex footballer, 24. I'm washed up. You know, you know those stories. You, 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 you paint yourself. You see another. You know, you, you, are still building on this like little wall that you, you're building for yourself. This little mental prison. So, you know, I left there. That you know, basically retired from football at 24, 25, and suddenly, you know, you're going back, going from an identity that was wrapped up in football since I was five to 24. Um, yeah, I got a business degree, and um, I, I honestly felt like, well, the best days are gone. Now. You know, know when you feel like, oh, well, I've peaked now. There's nothing that's gonna, you know. I, I, I went back, played some fresh, got my joy back for the game, but it was still external. It was still like, you know, it was it was it was built on like shifting sands, really. But it's like building your house and like shifting sand, the sand shift, and then you you're back to square one. But this is bearing in mind now then, you know, I, I, I managed to then work my way into the television industry. So I've um, basically, I've been, um, you know, it's been a slow progress, but I've been doing documentary stuff. I did, I was, back in 2015, I did a documentary on Nigel Owens, actually, the rugby ref. And when he, he got the chance to referee the World Cup final in 2015. Um, it's quite ironic, though, but I was, I disconnected. I think when... When I think with everything that happened, I'd come from that environment and, you know, hand dealt with things. My thought after retirement was like, right, what am I going to do? I'm going to be robotic here, just get on with it, disconnect, not feel my emotions. I'm just going to... I'd been reading a lot about Stoic philosophy at the time, which I did prove handy. It felt helpful in terms of reframing stuff. So when I retired, I'd be like, well, at least I've got my legs. You know, I felt, you know, at least I can walk, you know, which does reframe, it does help. But I think I wasn't, 
I'd underestimated how much of a part football played in in my life. It was it was my happy for a lot long periods in my career. It was my safe place. It was like my place to escape. It was like sometimes you know when you you know when you play in sport, the rules are clear, aren't they? You know you just mm. whereas sometimes in life, you know, people get a bit lost because the rules are a little bit vague. Everyone's you know it's it's a little bit less clear. So I think I'd hadn't really um, I'd underestimated that really. I I did kind of just pushed everything down um so what happened then i was it was ironic really I'd, i i was always thinking like yeah well okay i'm, I'm feeling a little bit empty you know i'll be okay once i once i get to here in my career i'll be fine then and you get to that place i had a little, a little bit of this in my career and then you're like oh no there's still something missing there's still and then i thought well when i get married that'll be it then once i get married that'll be it and then you get married and you know lovely wife happy still something i'm still still something and then i have two kids amazing kids i know i'm, I'm still looking outwardly I've, still, I've been neglectful of myself you know i always, I always put myself last of it i selfish to to look after yourself you know you've got to put yourself out you know put yourself last in a way and then what happened it was i was, it was quite ironic actually i was working on a documentary on a guy called flex lewis who's a who's a champion bodybuilder and he's won like mr olympia um in one category not not the open category about six times in a row he's from wales so well uh, i've done a documentary with him and like you know someone who's like mastered his body and i was burning out like my, my you know I, I remember i was just like um everything was coming to the surface and I was just trying to palm away, be this robot and thinking like, oh, it, it reached ahead. I think it was one morning where I, um, I just rang my dad in tears. You know, I was, I had a young son and I was trying to like spin so many plates, you know, the, you know, the guys, you know, driven guy, you know, I know you, you both are as well. You're kind of like, you're just trying to find the answer from yourself, you know, be successful, be do this, do that. But I was doing it from a place of lack, of not feeling enough. Not, it's never going to feel quite feel that it's going to feel close. But it's like that. That's been my my first time experience. So I remember just on my um, way way to work, and I just rang my dad and some tears, and he said, "Oh, go to the doctors." I just, you know, I was, I was having that. Even though I knew the doctors, it was a weird thing, really. I, I had been to counselling before, you know. I, I, I hadn't put my mask down. I, was, I remember like preparing to go and see the counsellor like I would before a game, like visualise myself not getting too upset. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, like building myself up. And I remember seeing like a couple of sessions with the counsellor, him pulling me to one side and going, well, I, I don't know if you're depressed. I, I just think you're really hard on yourself. And then me going back to the car and going, oh, no, I just like got pulled the wall over his eyes here. But here there was, there was no, you know, there was no escape really. I, like my dad said, go to the doctor. And I was, and even then, I was like still trying to find the answer outside me. I'll go to the doctor now and then they'll wave a magic wand. Even though I've been to the doctor before and the, the pills weren't the answer. Um, and I never forget it. She was, she was in, it was a, it was a lady GP and she, um, she's running through the protocol. She's got 15 minutes with me and she went, um, oh, you know, do you have dark thoughts? I was like, and I've got to the point now where they're just so normal. So I'm like, yeah, what a ridiculous question to ask everyone else. Who's doing it? Like, what, what a stupid question. Bear in mind, I've never actually tried to take my own life. You know, it was just this kind of like being so hard on myself. And then I just couldn't, you know, it was, I just built up, the, like I said, this, this prison for myself. And then um, she asked the question, and 
would you ever act on those? I said, well, of course not. I've got two wonderful boys and a, and a wonderful wife. And she goes, no, 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 no. You know, you're still talking about external to you. What about if you didn't have them? And I was like, yeah, bearing in mind, I, you know, I'd had been this, in a, you know, this is like in 2017 now, so bearing in mind I'd been in this position 20 years ago. But I don't know, something clicked to me there. It was like, you know, I, I woke up. I, I, it was a point that I'd always been a people pleaser and always felt like looking after yourself was self, you know, looking after, you know, it was a selfish thing to do. Like you always have to put others first. And and I and then I realised, you know, you have to turn it inward is the most selfless thing you can do because let's be honest, um, being so hard on myself and, you know, it's, it drove me a lot of the time to, you know, like in my TV career, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line, isn't it? It can drive you two ways. Um, but here, was, you know, you have to do something differently, you know. So what I said was, well, what if, you know, I, instead of palming everything away, what if I welcome everything? What if I try and let everything flow? What if I be gentle with myself? What, you know, I had been dabbling with meditating, but I was meditating, trying to be the best meditator and being hard on myself. If I, if I wasn't meditating, you know, like to, 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 to this kind of level. Um, and slowly, you know, you know, and then realizations like, well, you know, the way you're carrying on, like what, what good would you be as a father six feet under? You know, I think in life sometimes you, it helps if people shine a light, but I think there's this invite, and it was just something in me that I was like, you know, I, I didn't really, just for me at the time, I wouldn't, I knew medication wasn't the route for me there because I was functioning okay, but I just, I just had a period of really um, reading um, uh, about the mind, um, time to contemplate and time to practice. And I just, just by being gentler with myself, and yeah, there's a few slip-ups now and again, but I just feel like it's like a stripping away um, and it's something not really taught, taught to do. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's just, just world, um, life's opened up really um, in the last few years. Mate, that's, um, yeah, that's really powerful to, to hear that kind of journey. And I feel like, uh, yeah, so we're kind of at the present date now. And so if we just jump back quickly to 2017, and you mentioned, so between 2017 and now, you mentioned meditation. What other key things, and obviously in your readings and coming across stuff, are there any other practices you've implemented? You know, obviously exercise was a big part of your life, your whole life, but are there other things you've done or is it just the meditation and working solely on the mind? Um, but what thing, because, you know, you've kind of, is you've, had a, you've had a rough time in, in your kind of identity as a footballer. Um, and then obviously there was still an echo of some of that, that negative mindset creeped into your your work as uh, in documentaries and and even family life and you mentioned that kind of um you know steve talks about the hedonic treadmill of constantly wait that wanting that next thing and that mm -hmm. be the thing and but you've now got out of that what, what things um have helped you be where you are now uh, in the past three years um i think meditating has been the one thing that's stuck I, it's a it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because 
you know, like if you if you go into the gym and do you know, like your bicep curls every day, you see your your your, your guns getting a bit bigger. It's a little bit more subtle with the mind, isn't it? Yeah. With what, what, for me, when I meditate, quite a lot, you, you glide through your days a little bit more. You, I find that you're um, responding rather than reacting. You know, it gives you a split second between stuff happening in your life. So rather than just responding um, unconsciously from your your, your patterns, your conditioning a lot of the time. Um, and I found it quite, it's quite beneficial then to monitor your state so you can just see right where, you know, sometimes you, some people, you, I used to like go through life and you've lost a whole day in your mind and just, just going down the rabbit hole all the time. It just felt like it, it's a breaking up. It's like a break, it's like a pattern interrupt. It's like interrupting your patterns. It's like what, what I like about meditating is like, um, you know, neuros, neuroplasticity and stuff. It's, um, it's changing traits is something that's long lasting so in any situation what was happening what's objectively true in this situation so you're stripping it down to what's true so if, if anyone was looking at the situation what's true so for instance what if we were going back to let's say when ferguson ended my contract or or, or, or released me all that happens is he didn't offer me a new contract anything else about you know oh, i'm not good enough any of that that's all on me, you know, that, that's all in my, I'm creating this in my mind's creation. So you know, it's like that, mon- you know, obviously med- it's all encompassing, but my meditating helps you to be able to monitor and ask yourself what's true. So, I mean, I've heard a lot, you know, a lot of these spiritual gurus is like, you know, I, I don't know who said, you know, the, the mind's, a, mind's a great servant, but a bad master, something along those lines. And, you know, I think we, we sometimes in our own heads, we, we're kind of, I just have stopped. I stopped listening to you know. I stopped. Obviously, not not permanent way, but I I, I just wasn't like. A, I stopped being like a little um little dog on a lead. You know, just just following following my thoughts wherever they went. And then a lot of stuff with you know tapping into the body, like centering, trying to um um focus my attention on my on my you know my lower belly, and then suddenly. You, it's getting out of this like heady living in head all the time like I so I, I try to more now if I need to go to my head to to w- analyze and reflect I'll do that but I do try not to live in my head 24 hours a day I, you know breath work as well helps you know, to just regulating your autonomic nervous system and like so it's it's stuff that I to be honest we're not really taught to do and I think a, but what helps is you know you're finding like-minded people like yourselves and and I've always had that curiosity, and to be honest, in, um, since 2017, I've always had that curiosity, but I kind of killed it, killed it, and then I've just kind of, you know what, just just go with it a little bit. What what made you kill it, like in 2017? What was what was behind that sort of like blunting of it, if you if you like? I, th- I think I, it was just that realization. I think that I was. You have to turn inward, but you have to turn inward. It was just being gentler. I think that was the main thing for me. I mean, it's the same. It's the same as if you saw your mate, you'd be compassionate with your mate. You know, you you you'd be a little bit more easy with your mate. But when it comes to ourselves, we're so hard on ourselves. It's like I came from that dress room culture where I was maybe conditioned to be like really competitive and. Oh, this is great now. I've been in a situation where I am showing an emotion. That's great. Like it was like this. Mm. I was just looking in the wrong. I was looking in the wrong direction. Then I realised, like, then you then you're hearing about, you know, that sense of when you feel like 
life flowing what, what, when you're on the pitch? It's like, well, why does it have to be restricted? How do you replicate that in just everyday life? Yeah. And it was like, well, actually, you know, you have to, you, you wouldn't know happiness without sadness. So you, you can't, you have to try and accept everything, you know, like first and foremost is because you could have someone who, um, who rejects joy in their life. And I probably had a bit of that, you know, it's like, it's, it's just trying to accept everything. It's just trying to tap into emotion. And I think, you know, trying to connect with your heart a little bit more and um, the gut. And, and, and when you actually hear, you know, the gut's got the, the neurons in your gut and you've got neurons in your heart and it's, it's connect, you know, and you've got like the, the vagus nerve that's connecting everything up to the brainstem. So, you know, it's like, I used to, always used to, you know, you know, these slogans like, oh, um, trust your gut and, um, and go with your heart. It's like, oh, yeah, it's just a slogan. You see it like yeah. you know, on a stick or something. But then actually when you try and pay more attention to that, it's weird. I mean, I, I, I just felt like life's opened up a little bit. And I always used to think like, if, if you promote, you know, you'll take the edge, you, you lose your edge. And I think, you know, when you went back to um, that, you have to be so hard and you have to be this obsessiveness. But I think you can be like that. I think that drive in someone is, is innate. It's just, it's the stripping away of the stuff that's weighing you down that, uh, you know, it just, that's, um, that's holding you back. For me, performance is in all areas of your life. You know, you could have it be performing great on the pitch and then you go home and take, and, or, or, or you lose a game and you take it out on your on your wife and children. Like, is that not performance as well? Is is that not, is that not part of the whole? It's it's like well, it's about balancing all areas of your life. Or, or for me, I mean, that, that's the thing. Is like well, so, so when someone says like mentally strong, I don't really understand what mentally strong is. For me, it's like it's mentally skillful, mentally flexible. So you you're being able to adapt. In different situations, I mean that that for me, but you know that that's just my opinion. Yeah, there's so much that you've covered there, and uh, I'm flipping writing stuff down just to so I can remember. Um, But everything you've talked about, funny enough, um, we're not just talking a lot of bollocks. It's actually proven by science. The stuff that you said about adapting the autonomic nervous system, we've often done a lot of science and and research around that. Um, The meditation physically changes your brain. Um, the parts of your brain, the amygdala, it shrinks the amygdala, which is to do with stress, and it, and it um, enlarges the hippocampus too, uh, which is to do with energy and, and memory and everything. So the, there's, there's bits here that you're talking about, which if if we were talking about um, relating it back to that physical thing, you know, the mind, the the, the gym which you go to um, to train different parts of your body, like. I completely were about the flexibility and the, the the mental flexibility and agility that you've got there. Um, I really think that's related, and it goes back to the you know the, the the bits that we put on that that strength in mind charity. We're sort of trying to arrest the current version of what it is to be tough and mentally tough, and sort of bring in more of these things. What you've talked about, mate, and you know, the, there's there's I guess I guess we're to a degree we're doing it um, with the the stuff that we're the uh, accountability in the club lads uh, for mentality, but there's 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 a there's a, a way to think about it where you can be in such a habit, and 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 I've been in the habit being a young lad coming up through the ranks, and to a degree it helped me, to a degree it made me suffer a lot, 
um, mentally. Um, that's all habitual. That's all like that's that's your experience becoming your brain, um, and then your brain is is outwardly putting what you're going to experience. Um, it's neuroplasticity. That's how it works, um, and it just seems so clear to me um, as you're talking, mate, and, and over the last couple of weeks. But the, these these things that you're talking about, the meditation, the habits, the things that I feel as human beings, if we want to be if we want to be happy or if we want to be successful or we want to be fulfilled, which, you know, the fulfillment is for me is, is, is the, the main target, right? And, and a load of different targets and options come in front of that, um, that target because you think subconsciously that it's going to get you to the, the fulfillment and it's going to get you to that um, and that lasting sort of content. There's a lot to do there in terms of the lifestyle that you live in and the values you live in um, and, so maybe some things in, in the past that you need to clear up but I think you know what you're talking about Roger there as well is is you, you're sort of changing yourself you're changing your brain you're changing the way you look at the world you're adapting and you're not you're getting yourself out of that that sinkhole that you can get yourself into which is your mind flooding yourself with negativity after something like Alex Ferguson saying um, you know we're going to have to let you go That's that's one action that's one action that like you say, objectively, it has had to happen because that's their call, um, and that's that's just the way it goes. But the the thing that that I think Chris will be able to allude to this quote is probably similar to what you said there, Audrey. But um, it's it, it's the ability to to not harass yourself with that after, and the ability to to understand that you don't have to do it. The ability to put habits in place where it helps, like. I've been in a fucking shitstorm for the last ten months, and I reckon over the last three months, I've I've probably fully gone into um, what I need to do to arrest my mood at least with this concussion. Um, but with that comes a lot of work, and it comes with a lot of um, habit forming and standards or non-negotiables for me. Meditating now is a non-negotiable. It's like I, I want to, be, I want to live a life that that I'm happy with. I want to live a life where I'm flexible, where things are happening and things that are happening that I'd have thought that would have been a nightmare um, to happen. But I'm adapting to it. I'm finding the worth in it. I'm finding the gratitude in it, and I'm finding the the ability to be able to just go forward and and simply be content. Simply be content because. I'm content with myself. I'm content with the um, the strength that that I, that I want to portray for guys that that should be looking at this, that should be looking at these habits. There's a lot of things where you got to look at yourself and you got to stop lying to yourself and all that. But then on the back of it, there's the stuff that you need to do. And a stupidly little example like dropping someone in the kitchen or flipping, um, dropping yesterday, an example. I came into the house, I had a takeout sandwich, a lovely takeout sandwich, and a coffee, and I got in, and I knocked, um, as I was getting in, I knocked a cup out of my hand, and it just splattered all over the floor. Um, there was coffee everywhere, it went on my jacket, it went on my uh, jumper, it went on the floor, and shoes and stuff around it. And do you know what, four months ago, I'd have flipping shouted, and I'd have thought about my concussion, I'd have thought about the way that it's affected me, I thought about how my dexterity in my hands is crap. Um, but 
yesterday, I think you go through a phase where you see the reaction and you don't play it out. That's, that's, that's my experience. But yesterday, it wasn't like I was blunted to it, but it just happened. And I didn't add any of that extra tension and stress around it because, I mean, I'm not, I'm not perfect. There's going to be times where I do lash out and I do get angry about stuff. But there's a lot of suffering that comes with that. And there's a lot of, um, it's like it likes to, that, that likes to be a stepping stone to further suffering that, that can, can happen in your mind. Um, and for me, that was an example yesterday where, you know what, these habits that I've put in place for the last three, three and a half months, and I've done them every day without fail. I'm like, fuck, that's the work. That, that's the work that you need to do. That's the, that's the standing up for summer and, 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 and arresting what, what you can and controlling what you can. Um, and for me, that's all we can do. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's the benefit that I've found. Um, Chris, you might be able to allude to that quote. It's something about an arrow. It's a Buddhist, Buddhist quote. Oh, yeah, no, it's uh, the, don't fire the second arrow, I think. is mm. The first arrow is the event which happens to you. Um, so, you know, you both mentioned some there. It could be a big event, uh, like you mentioned, Rodri, with um, getting that talk from Ferguson. It could be a small one, like you dropping that cup of coffee. That's the event. You can't control it. That first arrow is sent by the world. It's external. And the second arrow, which we all, unfortunately, are in the habit in the West, particularly, of firing on ourselves, is the judgment which we continue to put on it. We don't always need to fire. In fact, we don't need to fire the second arrow at all. Um like you mentioned there, four months ago or whatever you said, 10 months ago, you would have fired the second arrow. This time you didn't. You just thought, that's annoying. You know, yeah. I presume you went and cleaned it up and yeah. just carried it. Left it. it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I have, to leave, I have to clean it up anyway. I'm going to walk on. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's the, it's the, the, yeah, it's the Buddhist principle that. Um, if there, there's one thing that comes to my mind through a lot of this conversation, and I think you'd both be quite well placed to talk on it. Um, and I was having a chat with a friend about this the other day. Um, James Underwood is in the Mentality Club, so shout out to him. But um, it was about, uh, I think Lewis Hamilton just won his seventh uh, Grand Prix. And he said, and you hear a lot of sports stars particularly say this, and it's millionaires say it and stuff as well. It's uh, he said something along the lines of, um, you know, if you believe in your dreams, anything's possible, or nothing's impossible if you believe, something like that. And I think that's quite a dangerous message <laughs> to constantly put out there. And I think, when I say things like that, I think people think, oh, come on, mate. They're just trying to build people up. But the thing is, you know, if life doesn't go according to plan, external factors happen. It sounds like, Rodri, like your knee may have never let you actually reach the levels your talent would have. Um, so I think if you tell people these things that, you know, if you, as long as you believe your dreams are possible, no matter what they are, I think that's quite a bad message. I think we should encourage more about really being the best version you can be at all times and enjoying your moment in the present. Don't forget about the journey. Forget the destination. Remember, try and focus on the journey and enjoying it and being the best you can be. And then those dreams, you know, will happen if they could happen. But I think uh, I see a lot of cases of, um, and I, I've gone to see Clark Carlisle speak live, actually, Rodri. I went to go see him in Leeds, give a talk. And uh, um, I found him very, uh, yeah, a, a brilliant speaker. And the way he talked about the issues he has and, I think about your story and there must be, there must be, I'm not exaggerating, I'm sure hundreds of thousands of um, people who have been through similar journeys like you have, where their dream has been playing for Man U or playing for Chelsea or playing for Real Madrid in Spain and things haven't worked out for them. And then the game just kind of puts them on the scrap heap and moves on. 
so I think we can have a, a better conversation about these sort of messages we kind of we do put out. Um, yeah, did you do you have any thoughts on that, Rodri, and, and you as well, Steve? It's, it's weird, really. Um, you are in control to, to, to a certain degree, but what I'd say, you know, what I don't want to come across, I don't, you know, difficult causes, I'm not looking for, it's, you take responsibility for yourself, you know, like in terms of what I'd say nowadays, there's so many sources of information out there. It's a decision to be ignorant in terms of, if you don't do the inner work, if you don't turn inward, nothing will change, you know, you'll always be at the whim of, getting all your external circumstances just to be right. And then maybe like a gust of wind comes, you know, you get your picnic, um, take, right? And then a gust of wind and blows everything. It's or your like, coffee from your takeout. Yeah, but, but, but I think people think like, oh, by like, what, what I say is like, you've got to accept reality as it is whilst trying to change. But I think what a lot of people do is I'll be okay once I change, once I get there. And I'm like, well, that's just like a thread. <laughs> you know, you're, you're always forever on the run. So I, I've got a point. For, for example, you know, I've, I've just recovered from, you know, I, um, about six weeks ago, I had like an emergency bowel um, off. I was in hospital for 10 nights. And I'm not like in there going, oh, God, if why has this happened? And, um, uh, and this, I'm like, that's accepting the reality. I got emotional. I had cried in there. But it's, people are like, oh, it's not suffering, it's just accepting everything. But but whilst whilst going out and playing the game of life, you know, it's like, it's a weird thing, you know, like, we, we, it's a gift, we, we all have this one life. And then I hear so many people who get, you know, and you read books about people on the deathbed and think, oh, why did I worry so much? And why did I not? You know, sometimes I'm like, I, I'll just think of death, not in a morbid way, because it snaps me back to what's important right now. Because sometimes we live our lives thinking, no, I'm guilty of it sometimes. You go through your day thinking, oh, well, I'm a, you know, like, oh, that death's not going to happen to me. But, you know, the, the end of the journey is the same for everyone. So why not enjoy it? It's a decision. It, believe it or not, it's a decision not to enjoy it. You know, it, it, mm. it, you, you, you have, but, but to do that, you have to, you know, like you have to follow your inner voice and, and remember, you know, it's like, it is a gift and it's up to us to, to, to do the best of it. There are no rules. It, no, <laughs> it's not like you reach, you know, when you're 18 and someone gives you the book and go, there you go, there's the answers to life. Everyone's trying to find their own, you know, way and what, what you, you know, and, and, and a lot of it comes from your own experience as well is like, it's a weird thing, you know, when you're young, don't get me wrong, a lot of the information we come across would help maybe some young guys, but you learn from your mistakes, like you learn from experience and you know, a lot of the stuff. Like, I, I wouldn't regret, I wouldn't change anything in my life, you know, in terms of, um, because I've learned a lot of stuff. Yeah, maybe if someone had, had, had chance some this when I was younger, there would be, I'd have reduced some necessary suffering, but a lot of us, a lot of, in a lot of life we, we look back and live from memory and then we, we try and look into the future and try and um, and that's just based on imagination and it's like I think we're quite bad sometimes at predicting what like a future success will actually bring us instead of just thinking well you know what I'm just following what lights me up and like what will be will be to a degree so it's like 
sometimes you know when someone says focus on the goal for me it's more about like well what's a rough direction because sometimes a goal it feels like you can zone in and become too and then you're losing out on on other stuff whereas like a direction because you might you know you it feels like a little bit more fluid or you might be going to one direction you might just want to alter you know just just it's a little bit more fluid um as i say i'm just talking from from my experiences really i mean um but I, it is you have to, you have to take responsibility for yourself to be honest it's 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 quite a big conversation to be had and uh we were talking to a university student two days ago wasn't it chris yeah um about mental health and stuff and the messages that are given at universities and i've i've got the opportunity to work with some universities um coming up and What's what's the right balance? What is the right measure to uh, to deliver to a young eighteen year old? Because there's the, looking inward is uh, beneficial, but also it's hard. Like like everything in life, it's worth you get worth out of something if it's hard to get it, or if it's hard to 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 juggle it, or it's hard to train it, or um, you know that that's that's the real worth in stuff. Um, because it's, it's there's there's been the strife, or there's been the pain, or there's been the the ups and the downs. How do you? I, I love to know, Roger, just about looking at the things that when you looked inward. Was it all sunshine and rainbows, or was the the hard bits to it? Um, and I'd also like to ask to to those guys here the right balance um, when delivering these messages. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a difficult one, isn't it? Because you don't want to be too wise, too young, a little bit as well, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. like someone annoying that about someone who's too young and has spent out with too many words of wisdom. You feel like they've just read it from a box sometimes, yeah. and they're just yeah. really not what they read in a box. Um, sometimes I think those experiences, like it, if you can be gentle and open and curious, then it may may make you help you find your inner voice because I, I don't know what you, what your views are but you know go, just just from you know I'm 38 now and go back 20 years the world's there's far more distractions now even from when I was 18 so it's so easy to just fill your life with distractions and and drown out that that inner voice and um like, like I say, it, it is a, it is a difficult balance, but I think that's true in any anything in life. You know, it, it, when someone says about balance, I think it's just trusting your own inexperience and something just feels right for you. You know, I think sometimes, you know, Chris would probably have more to say about this, but it's like in the Eastern world, they're more advanced maybe in terms of the understanding a lot of this and. It seems to like when it comes to our country, we have to have the science, which is to validate something instead of thinking, well, no, how do you feel from, you know, the stuff that you're doing instead of saying, well, yeah, this, you know, don't get me wrong. And I'm like someone who likes to know the science a little bit in terms of what's happening in your body. But then sometimes you, you, can, you can think, oh, well, um, this is what the science is telling me instead of saying, well, no, actually, this is, 
Yeah, because that's what I mean. We're all different, aren't we? I mean, something something might trigger Chris, or something triggers Stevie. It doesn't trigger me, and you know, so we're all carrying our different experiences. Um, yeah. So, so it's difficult to say. You know, sometimes when someone says like, um, "These are the five tips to reach here," it's like, well, no, it's it's, it's about trying to find your own answers. And yeah. when you're young, you, you, you're trying to find your way, and there's a lot of lot of um, um, people in a lot of you know even like people trying to steer you in different directions and this and just just trying to stay all i'd say is just it's trying to stay true to yourself it's so difficult you know a lot of people spend their lives wishing they were more like someone else and then mm. just being <laughs> kind of yourself is a, is is all you are good can do i mean do you really want to swap your problems to someone else's because you bear in mind you're basing if you're saying oh, I want to be like someone else, you're seeing what the projection is of what they want to show you what their life is like. Do if you with with that person twenty four seven, would you yeah, really want yeah. to swap places? It's 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 like this game of um of this, this masks that people put on in front of each other, and then suddenly, um, I think that's why. Just to just to finish, I, I think that's why when someone's open and vulnerable. I think it resonates when someone's really coming from, you know, the layers are kind of stripped away because I think everyone wants to do that. You know, it's, it's mm. like when when I talk openly, like when we're talking openly, it's like a bit of a relief, isn't it, sometimes? You know, it's mm. like it's this relief to admit that, God, we're all human and we're all we're, we're all carrying different stuff. You know, it's, we're, we're all carrying and stuff will come up and, and it's just... It's just trying to welcome it all, really. But whilst trying to trying to do something about it, it's, um, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think what you what you say is right about how by doing a lot of these practices, you'll actually notice the difference in your day to day experience. It's kind of like that's the number one piece of evidence you need. And um, yeah, the science is also great at hopefully allowing some people to uh to just make that first step um but yeah that you'll see we all have we've seen the evidence in our day-to-day lives and in how stevie didn't react when he dropped that cup of coffee when before we would have got you know really annoyed and um we all notice those moments and how that flow state comes in more with friends and family than it did before and we'd be with them but we wouldn't be really with them because we'd be thinking too much and um back to the the point about how to frame the these thoughts and uh, I, was, I think you know back to me when I was 18 19 I might not have been that open to a lot of them but I think what is a nice way of thinking about it is uh when we've talked about this Steve in the past year I think this has shifted for us but the difference between goals and habits and I think we put so much more on the goals at the moment in society and culture and in the conversations around who you can be it's a we put pretty much all the emphasis on like have goals, follow your dreams, you know, to do lists. And those things are good. They do, they do help drive you, but you forget about your daily happiness is a large and your productivity is in large part down to the habits you have that day. So, and you know, you can have dreams and goals. And I think you touched on this, Rodri, but you can be beating yourself up mentally all the time. And yeah, you might achieve them, but you won't have enjoyed the journey. And at the end, you might realize you've got one passing moment of winning something or achieving that thing. And then it's gone. These things are ethereal. They're fleeting. Um, so really emphasize the, I'd say when chatting to people about, um, you don't have to 
couch it in kind of meditation talk or things like that. I think it's important to mention meditation because it does help you enjoy the moment. But think about like you can just present what what's what the science says. Um, again, just kind of open the conversation up to them, but about what habits actually help. And you say, you know, getting good sleep. Uh, think about what habits would help you every day and you'll enjoy the journey as well as the the destination thinking back to young footballers who um, might be pinning everything on uh, um, on one thing and I think you've had Alan Johnson on Steve saying you can't do that for happiness you can't have all your happiness tied up in a relationship or uh, a family member like a child or on your job or on your career you've got to diversify your self-esteem and things so for footballers or people who've got one set goal, they've got to think about other areas and focusing on what will help them enjoy the journey and whether that's, okay, making sure there are some sort of hobbies and things outside of it and and get into practices where they don't allow themselves to ruminate. They take on some CBT or meditation techniques or they just, um, yeah, I, 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 it's hard not to overwhelm them. But I just think the habits that I've built into my life now, meditation is one of them have made it far more enjoyable life to be on than that my life was before. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I achieved goals before and I still achieve now, but they, they come and go. And uh, it, the most important thing is just like the day-to-day enjoyment of my life and the contentment mm. I have. And I think we miss that too often. Yeah, I think I think as well, Roger mentioned it, I've wrote that down, but... Um, it's been a compelling thing for me to find out over um, over my short time on this planet. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the the fact that everyone wants that relief or they want that sort of um, I don't know. I guess it, the best word is for it is relief um, of that vulnerability or being able to take off the mask or to be able to just be like and, and uh, I'm actually going to go on a Craig White retreat um, who came and held a mentality retreat um, a couple of years back um, and it takes half a day I think Crystal back this up but it takes half a day if that to just like get in a room of blokes um, or get in a community with blokes and just like have that comfort to be able to like speak openly without fear of judgment without like worrying um, what people might think and to just feel heard and, and seen. Um, it's, it's quite a wonderful thing. And I, I put a tweet out yesterday saying like, if you're not, if you're not got any activity um, that goes beyond stigma of, of talking about this stuff or mental health, then you're missing out because there's another, another version that there is to, to be seen and to be heard. And, um, you know, I'd swap that over um, winning, um, trophies winning medals and um winning man of the matches um because they're very transient but there's there's that sort of layer that's underneath all that which makes everything worth it and which i think is real safety for men um with with the stats and figures that that, uh, that are going on i think that's sort of a, a sanctuary if you like for men that they know that they've got that comfort in in and that relief in, in being themselves away from what's um, prescribed to them to be on in society. And, you know, I, as a young lad, we talk about the university stuff. I didn't think that I'd get to a point and I'm talking about this sort of stuff, you know, I'd be in their shoes um, just the same. Um, I wanted to go and, and achieve and achieve and achieve. Uh, but I do wish that I had 
like Chris says, the habits and the um, openness to to development in this way, and the, the, the as Rogers said, the gentle sort of appreciation or the gentle and, and curiosity to it, because it's um, it opens another uh, opens another book, it opens another chapter of your life too. Um, so yeah, it's 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 quite nice to have this conversation because uh, I feel like, as uh, you know, as imagine when you heard it, Roger, that that that, that uh, podcast with Craig White it was the number three on the Mentality podcast. I don't know what number we're on now, but um, it certainly set a precedent for 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 these conversations. I think too. You you know you mentioned about I mean uh, retreat. I had an experience. I was I was filming for a documentary, and it was a, it was actually November last year. Um, there was an event happening in London. And there was hundred guys gathering um, to do a day of um, Wim Hof ice bath sessions and um, breath work with. So it was a couple of um, Wim Hof um, method instructors, mm-hmm. there, and there was a guy called Richie Bostock, and he's called he's the breath guy. Um, so he's an Australian guy. Um, but there was a day, so he, so it was, a, it was a hundred men, okay, and it was like a mixture of guys, sports guys, business, all, you know, it was a, a very, very group. And you know you know how you can sit, they arrive on ones and twos, start the days, a lot of bravado, and um, you're all getting in the ice bath, you know what I mean, tops yeah. off and all that. Um, but it, it was a weird thing for me, because I was, felt, I was, watching it unfold in front of me so I wasn't you know so I had this I could just see what was going on okay so what happened you know they did all of the ice bath stuff and then Richie took the guys okay and so with 100 guys just lying on a mat just for an hour breathwork session just connected wow. breathwork um yeah there was a bit of music as well and he was using the, you know because I've got background in um, neurolinguistic programming and hypnosis there was a little bit of hypnosis going on no not not nothing to be a little bit but it was mostly just a breath look and honestly there was guys just crying on the mat those guys I, I, you know it really made me sit up and take notice because i was just like the emotions that people store up in the body you know we're, we're quick to be like very mind-based but like that's what i'm saying like it's a mind body thing it's like mm. just from breathwork so what happened then is then, you know, Richie wrapped the event up and said, anyone want to come up just and, you know, say thank you or, any, or anything? You know, you know I, we were, we'd um, travelled up from Cardiff to do the film a couple of hours away. And this, I think, was on, a, it was on a Sunday and it was, you know, it was getting quite late anyway on Sunday. Honestly, there was guy after guy coming up and just unloading, you know, just, just wow. saying, oh, you know, this is... I've, I've been going through this, so not not like people who've got you know just everyday, mm. you know problems or my my relationship problems and stuff. And it was just an eye opener for me. Is about like and what you saw then about guys who have arrived in the ones and twos and have quite guarded start of the day. You know, just like you know, I want to be the I want I, what you had in the ice bath. You, you know that competitive element. Who can stay the longest and who who can like not mm. like put the game face on for the longest? And honestly, yeah. those guys just hugging at the end. And this is this wasn't like your new agey kind of. Um, do you yeah. know what I mean? It was like yeah. guys just like just like us. Um, so for me, it was just like an eye opener. You know, in terms of of I, I think. It's just be about like some, some situations you might not feel emotion and mm. that's fine and some but it's not 
resisting what comes up. You know, for periods I did feel emotion. I'm just palm it down and thinking, oh, that makes me like some kind of like amazing guy that I can just block all this away like some kind of robot. And this system, um, yeah, it was it was just like just to allude to what you said. I just had like that first hand experience, and it was it was just um, it was it was really really eye opening for me. I wonder what it does. Uh, and I'm talking about science now, but I'm reading Body Keeps a Score, and it's talking about sort of like neuroscience yeah. as well, and and like the the imaging that happens and the lack of activity in certain parts of the area of the brain. I wonder what the breathing actually does. I'm not I'm not up to up to uh, up to standard on all that really. I know that. There's, in meditation, it's sort of like less activity in the prefrontal cortex, which, like you say, is the analytical, uh, analytical thinking and probably the sort of ego and, and uh, the sort of facade or the like, you know, the, the bit where it's like, oh, I can't do this or I can't show, show myself like this or whatever. I wonder if, 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 if that's sort of heavily decre- decreased after that or during that type of breath work. And, uh, yeah, and... and and I guess you don't know, like, like I mentioned earlier, like it's a habit or it's like a, it's like um, a training sort of thing. You know, like meditation is a good way to ex- explain it. Is like a bicep curl for the brain. Every time you come back to your breath, it's like your brain's teaching yourself to come back to that present moment, and that sort of practice overflows into daily life. Like Chris mentioned, you're more content, you're more in, in, in the moment with your family that you'd usually be thinking about other things with. Um, I wonder. I wonder if there's any in, in that, and, and obviously we know the phenomenon of neuroplasticity. But I wonder if if those moments where you are tapping into a different part of your brain or tapping out of a different part of your brain, I wonder if that's stored, just like those emotions are stored, and, and it's, it's it, instead of storing them up, it's it's like triggering a response to to release them and to to be more um in that sort of relieved mode if you like i don't know that's a, that's a that's a pondering thought for you yeah no i mean i've read that is it i've read the book your body keeps a score as well i think i think it's just we we underestimate i think the impact of the body in terms of um in terms of you know, obviously, the, in terms of the breath, being able to regulate its autonomic nervous system. So, you, into, I mean, I do a lot of um, um, heart coherence work. So, you know, if, you, if you're breathing um, to, 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 to rhythmically and um, and sometimes it helps if you've, you're thinking, trying to think of, um, be grateful in your thoughts and you just see that your heart coherence goes up and it's just like, it's, it's like, Retaining your body to balance, so your heart's just like beating like a like a drum. Like you know, if you're seeing on a wave, it'd be like a nice even wave. Whereas when it's in coherence, it's like oscillating all over the place. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. I just think maybe we there's a lot about the body that we, we don't quite understand. And I think with stuff like um, about the autonomic nervous system, I think you don't you want sometimes to have some stress. You know, like you know, you want to get into that sympathetic system and um, the sympathetic mode in terms of. Um, and then, but sometimes you want to be, you know, parasympathetic. You, you want to be like changing, changing through the gears a little bit. But what I find is maybe in this current world that a lot of us in this sympathetic mode all the time, this, 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 this yeah. low stress level. And I think that's what burns people out. It's like, it's like we're a do, do, do all the time. No, don't get me wrong. Like that, but sometimes you have to, you want to do, 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 just renew 
but it's knowing how to renew. It's not like, because sometimes you, you, people renew, it's like, well, I've got to go on holiday, go take a break, but, yeah. but you're still taking your mind, you're still taking the same taking body and the really. same mind yeah. with you. So to me, it's like, well, you can renew just at home. You know, it's just knowing how, and know, once you know how, you, you know, you can, like neurobiology, how you can, um, you know, with breath work and, You've got like nerves, like the vagus nerve that connects all the main organs into the brainstem. So suddenly people are trying to think themselves better, but sometimes you just get your body working and then automatically you're just, yeah. you're just regulating yourself um, um, naturally. And I, I, that's what appeals to me, like with stuff like breath and meditating, you've got access to it any time. Yeah. You know, it's not like I've got to go and exercise, I've got to go and have a coffee. Don't get me wrong, I, I do all these things, but it's like still stuff that's... It's, like an, it alters your state. That's what I'm saying. It's like all you know. It's about more you you kind of um, do the breath. You just you're able to switch your gears a little bit. You're just in tune with your body a little bit more. And uh, you know, and I think maybe guys sometimes don't do you know. You're tuning into emotion because some guys were like, well, I don't know what. I'm, so I was like this up here. I'd be like, I don't know what emotions I'm feeling. I don't know what the. I'm not used to tapping in seeing like into my stomach and focusing on my stomach and, and then suddenly sometimes if I focus on my stomach I just feel a little bit more grounded I think they call you know a lot of the martial arts they call it centering where you focus on the stomach and you and, and look from the world from that place and suddenly you feel a little bit more grounded sometimes if you want to connect with someone you just focus your attention on the heart look at the world from that you suddenly feel a little bit more connected rather than just always looking from the head. And then you suddenly, you look from the head, you know, you're talking to someone, you, 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 you're looking at, you're talking to someone with Radio Me on, you know, you're like, oh, God, what are they thinking of me? Am I saying the right things here? You know, you're mm. there, but you're not quite there. I mean, mm. but that's the thing, you can experience that. Like, you, you have a conversation with someone, say, right, I'm going to just do it, like, with my attention, just focused on my head. And you try and do it with just focusing on your belly and just see how it feels. Does it feel different to you? But what you'll find, the same with anything, you know, like when you start doing some skills in rugby it can feel a bit clunky or you know when you but you might find that you go to the stomach you'll just go straight back to the head because it just doesn't feel you're not you know you've been you're used to living in you know just in just behind you know the, the forehead and that's what i'm saying like is we, we can talk about this but sometimes it's the same with you can talk about the benefits of meditating but sometimes just well why don't you just do it or why don't you just do yeah. this breath why don't you just yeah. see right center yourself in the stomach how does it feel? And then you might be like, oh, actually, I yeah, I feel, I feel, I don't know, it feels better. But I think sometimes we're quick to like, <laughs> to, to, to read about the benefit. You can read a, a thousand books and be none the wiser after. You yeah, can read one yeah, book and take yeah. the action from it and then it, yeah. you read the benefit. And it goes to say, you know, you're talking about the environment, uh, the dressing room environment that you had in football and, uh, you know, we sort of, enveloping all this stuff you know um, I think you've sort of talked a little bit about the work that Joe Dispenza does there am I right is that way you've been reading that stuff I'm not sure but I'll uh, you know we're enveloping all this and I call um, Joe Dispenza the idea of uh, the vagus nerve and stuff which is is all out there it's all science um, and just thinking in terms of that in uh, a social structure or an environment like you're talking about the dressing room and one reason I wanted to have an effect on the, uh, the boys last year, the Rhinos boys last year, after we had uh, our coach sacked, um, 
I could see it. I could see it, and and this is one reason why you know people might read stuff or not voice it or not talk about stuff. It's because they want to feel safe, um, and in that that environment, uh, you can play rugby league and you you go out to to battle. You you literally go out to battle, and like when I go out and play, I don't take any prisoners. I'll flipping. I donate my body and and health towards it to winning. Um, but. Everything around that, you know, you 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 you've yeah, you ramped up into the sympathetic nervous system, the adrenaline and all that. Um, but if you don't have an environment which you can leave the game, leave the field, you get a shade of it after after playing, after in the change rooms, because everyone's you know happy about the game. They've they've left themselves out there. They've shown themselves fully. But if, if if you don't have an environment which you feel safe in, or if you feel like it's um, beneficial for you, and you're in safety mode, you're still in your you're still in your sympathetic nervous system there. So you're playing a game, whether it's football, rugby, or whatever. But if you if you don't have an environment which you can be yourself in, or you can you can be vulnerable, then you're still in that nervous system. Like you, there's no break from it, um, and I think that's, I think that's one of the things with sport which I, I feel like needs does need addressing, um, because you know when when do you get that relief as we mentioned before, um, and and I, you know the the work that, that that we've done at the Rhinos has been a lot of it is, is revolved around. Um, Bringing out stories, talking about adversities, talking about our heroes, talking about challenges, talking about worries, concerns, um, and that sort of developed into who the team is, who the uh, who the group of players are, and what it means to be there. And you know, one of the big things is brotherhood and respect. So everything's got to revolve around that because otherwise, it's it, that's that's you know the, the 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 brotherhood and the respect side of it. The more safe side of it has 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 got a little bit bigger and a bit larger, and that's sort of the common thing now. That's the common goal, so it creates a, such a better environment to be in. Um, and you know, that's one of the things I'm proud of of doing and, and helping to happen in my time at, at Leeds, because um, it's it it, it don't it don't just help you uh, feel safer and, and feel better and feel like you can. Um, self-actualize in that environment but it helps you uh, win games as well <laughs> and be better well I feel like uh, <laughs> we covered quite a lot there man um, yeah, yeah what time is it <laughs> yes it's 10 to 3 now so no I feel like this could be one of those Joe Rogan four hour pods if, uh, <laughs> if we, if we yeah, carried yeah. on is there anything you you feel like you'd like to close with Rodri and like just to say it's um it's been great to connect to you man it's one of the cool things about doing this pod is the kind of connections we've made and uh um the chats we've had on Twitter and uh yeah hearing about your story and then hearing it actually from you as well um I think it's quite an important one and one which will resonate because I don't think these things come up now and again and every now and again there'll be a tragedy there'll be a young player, I think there was a young player recently took his own life. Um, who I can't remember what club it was, might be Man City, but um, yeah, and then it comes in the press and then it's gone again. So, the more and more we can do this and have these chats about the human side behind those stories, and 
and uh, the better but yeah but have, you, have you got any um yeah any closing thoughts no i mean i, th- I think we've covered quite quite a lot there <laughs> so I, I won't be offended if you edit it down <laughs> no we won't mate i don't think we will man i think it's natural all, yeah it's good i think that one's just good it's oven ready as the as the phrase is these days <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, just on the breathing thing, like, yeah, that the box breathing is one of the tools I found super helpful, as well as the Wim Hof one. I kind of do the opposite thing, but um, if I feel that anxiety feeling, I just do box breathing and it, yeah, mm-hmm. snaps the body out of it. And then the way you put it there, if I do that, the mind kind of follows. I'd never thought of it like that, but it does, it doesn't seem as big an issue, whatever caused it. Alan, Alan Watts said, um, every day you have to lose your mind and in, in theory go into your body because then you come to your senses. Mm. I was saying like one thing maybe I'd like to finish is um, you know you can shift your mind state in any any situation it, it can be a superpower I mean like you said a lot about the external stuff they are a factor I mean but but you know you can consciously control some stuff with external factors about who you who you surround yourself with to a degree you know you've got a certain amount of control but that's limited to a certain amount but you've always got access to your own inexperience and it's just finding it's different for everyone but finding those methods that like you say um get you into a place of feeling safe on a on a you know in your, in your nervous system really and it's unmistakable when you tap into that you, it's a very much a felt experience and then it just frees into brain so like i, I think this um of idea of just looking at the mind just this isolated um part of us in between between the um in between the years, I think is a little bit dated. You know, we're, we're, like I said, with the science and stuff, it's, um, I think we're only just tapping into to the way the the body kind of um, and and the heart and the gut kind of all feed into it. So it's just knowing that you can um, you you can you know regulate your your system at any point really. And um, yeah, looking to it, mate. That's a great yeah. Go on, Steve. And yeah. what a journey that is to be on there at this time, at this time and place we are in the world with all this stuff coming up what a time to explore it eh? yeah thanks for coming on Rodri man definitely keep in touch and uh, yeah I mean there's a whole other pod about stuff you do in documentaries and things like that so um, keep in touch and uh, if there's anything interesting you're working on working on give us a shout thanks for having me let's make some telly Rodri I've got a Welsh mum if that helps I knew this would come up Steve's going to try and pitch (laughs) something to you now like (laughs) yeah Yeah, legend. Cheers for that, Roger.